Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode number 552 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and my guest this week is Melanie Johnson. Her new book, Too Wrong to Be Right, is out this week and we are going to talk about the difference between contemporary romance and rom-coms and writing about characters who work in the funeral industry, which we have both done. I want to give you a heads up that we start talking about different burial options and the funeral industry at about 14 minutes in. So if that's not something that you want to listen to, you want to skip ahead probably about four minutes. We also talk about burnout in the publishing industry and grieving the professional relationships that are lost. Now stay tuned for a future episode because Melanie is going to join me again to take a deep dive into a book coincidentally that we were both reading when I recorded this interview. This is a nonfiction book called All the Living and the Dead by Haley Campbell. So we will be talking about that in a future episode. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community. I have a compliment this week. And would you believe I have given out more than 300 compliments? How cool is that? This compliment is for Amelia B, unless it's Amalia. I hope I'm saying that right. Currently, a graphic designer is working on billboards about people who inspire kindness and make the world better each day. And you feature on every single one of them. If you would like a compliment of your own, or if you would like to support the show, please have a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at a dollar, and each pledge keeps me going each week and makes sure that every episode has a transcript. Hello, Garlic Knitter. The accessibility of the show is very important to me and to many readers and listeners as well. Plus, if you join the Patreon, you get bonus episodes, a really wonderful, fun, and welcoming Discord, and lots of other cool stuff. So have a look, patreon.com slash smartbitches. And hello to Daphne, who is the newest member of our Patreon. I will have links to all of the books that we discuss in this episode and links to a lot of the things that we talk about. We talk about online courses. We talk about previous podcast episodes. We talk about a lot of things. We will have links to all of those things in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. But without further ado... On with the conversation with me and Melanie Johnson. Hi, 
My name is Melanie Johnson. I am a contemporary romance author uh, and rom-com author, I guess, that we now have that distinction. Uh, I also go by The Writing Lush, which is kind of become a, uh, a, a theme or brand for me because uh, drinking while editing is seems to be my go-to. And uh, yeah, my next romantic comedy comes out at the end of this month, uh, end of February. And congratulations. First of all, I thought all editing had to be done with some kind of assisted substance. Well, this is how that whole thing came about, because there's the phrase, you know, write drunk, edit sober. And there was some conversation on a social media site that we we dare not name anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That, you know, I forget how it went. And I kind of like, well, I write drunk, edit drunker. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you get out of your own way, that's how it works, right? (laughs) so it kind of just became this thing and then you know we started the boozy book bras that we did during the panini uh, with angelina m lopez and danielle jackson which was very much focused on you know books and booze so it really kind of became a brand that i leaned hard into and and in about like Lush living isn't just about drinking it's about indulging in things that make you happy pleasures without thinking that they're guilty, which yes. romance is part of. Absolutely. And Lush is Lush has many meanings. Yes. Now you <laughs> mentioned you you mentioned the distinction between rom-com and contemporary romance. And that those are slightly different signifiers, which I agree with, but I wanted to ask you to talk more about that if you could. Like what do you see as the difference between those two? And why do we have the terms? Was is it because <laughs> contemporary romance was just too broad and we needed to be more specific like why what what do you think is going on there and how do you define each one well I think there are several layers to this so I'm going to kind of go backwards so you the one thing you just mentioned was this contemporary romance just too broad and I would say yes oh absolutely I'm actually (laughs) I'm actually um listening to or I'm partaking in a publishing course called publishing publish and thrive by Sarah Cannon who is fantastic and she just talked about because she's talking about um you know when you pick your categories or whatnot you know when you're loading your, your metadata and that for a lot of genres, there's lots and lots of niche subgenres that you can kind of really kind of drill down to and what your book is. But she's, she, she noted specifically contemporary romance just doesn't seem to have as many options when you're putting in your metadata. And she's like, that's so bizarre because there is so much. And so she's kind of showing the authors kind of how you can like, you know, if you're talking about mafia romance, it's very different from like, so all of these different Subgenres within the umbrella of contemporary romance. So yes, to answer your question there, 100% there are... Too many. It is too broad. Too many. Because if I say I like contemporary romance, you say you like contemporary romance, you could be talking about a very dark, angsty, extremely sexual mafia romance, and I could be talking about Debbie Maycomber and Susan Mallory. Those are two totally right, different town romances, beachy romances. Like there's like, I mean, we could, we could go on and on and on. Like you said, you know, when I signed up for this course, I mean, I know kind of segueing here for a second, but when I signed up for this course, a lot of it, I'm like, I knew there was going to be a lot of stuff that I was already aware of um, tangentially, at least from, from my experiences. Um, but it's only the second week and I've definitely been learning things that I hadn't considered. And that was one of the pieces that those light bulb moments. Um, But for the other part of the question, what differentiates rom-com versus contemporary romance? I've had to talk about this a lot. And I think because having recently written 
books that are very much rom-com. The problem is we're having all contemporary, and this is a publishing problem across the board. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to just hold my lighter while you talk. I'm just going to hold the lighter and sway back <laughs> and forth. How do we market books? How do we get them in bookstores? How do we get them on shelves? And that's what happens is you get everything from Colleen Hoover to, to you know, to Nicholas Sparks to, to like all these other authors, you know, um, being one lumped in as romance, even when they're not necessarily romance, but then two, all getting slapped with, you know, cartoon covers, illustrated covers, and that becomes an assumption of what's inside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, you can get, you're going to get a Tessa Bailey, you know, super steamy versus contemporary romances that have our closed door. So I think the the delineation, and that's frustrating for readers. When they're when, when I when I want a rom com, I want something that's going to make me laugh. I that's, mean, that's it's in the name, the com com comedy. Yes, <laughs> I want light. I want fluffy. I want I yeah. I just want to escape into something that's that's honestly a bit silly. Um, and unfortunately, you know, again, it's it's part of the whole like trying to get these books in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Um, that they get looped, you know, lumped together, you know, mm-hmm. Abby Jimenez, fantastic books, you know, but there, there's a lot, there's, there's deeper themes, darker themes, you know, and we can have content warnings and that helps. But at the same time, again, if I'm picking up a romantic comedy, I just kind of want to know that's what I'm getting. And so I think the biggest part for me, and I think is, is the, is the comp that we have, that there are comedic elements and and the fact that it's a romantic comedy is if you take those comedic elements out of the story mm-hmm. then it, then the story doesn't doesn't play out the way it should that's a very um, good so point that actually integral just again because like a romance can't be a romance unless the romance is integral to the story right and i think romantic comedy can't really function as a rom-com unless there's certain things about the, the comedic elements that are integral to the story from the meet cute to the conflicts to the complications that that like are humorous in and of themselves yeah and the humor can come from both the situations that the characters are in and the things that characters say about those situations like for yeah. example I would look at early, so there are some early Kristen Higgins novels that I can reread and I've read them 20 times and I will still crack up. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there are some books where the sense of humor of the characters is, and Jill Shalvis is the same way. There are some early Jill Shalvis books that I still laugh at. And it's the things that the characters say about the situations that they're in. And when you talked about you can't extract the comedy, well, that's extracting dialogue. That's not that's not going to work. That's yeah. going to make your book really jumpy. <laughs> Take out all the yeah, and, talking. And, and there's plenty, like, and not to say that, like, like I mentioned, Abby Jimenez. Not to say she incredibly funny. You know, very funny things that she can do in it, and that becomes a very subjective thing. What I find funny is definitely different from what the next person may find funny. Absolutely. And yeah, so that, so that's you know, so maybe that's part of it too. But. um you know, I do think we are in this weird place of everything being called a rom-com. And well, marketing is is uh, the more something is marketed within a particular publishing trend, the more flat that term gets. Oh, that's yes, yes. Because everyone's using it, it ceases to have it ceases to have meaning. It's like when you write the same word thirty times, all of a sudden <laughs> that word doesn't look like a real word anymore. It's like that. Now, I want to talk to you about your new book, oh, which is definitely a rom-com. It is definitely very fluffy and very silly, um, but but takes place at a funeral home. (laughs) As you do. Please tell me everything. Tell me all about this book. Just start at chapter one. You can start reading. That's fine. 
<laughs> um, so I will tell you about the meet cute because this is for me, my way into a story often is the, the, the moment when the two characters meet my, it's usually my way in. It's usually the, the spark that kind of gets the story rolling. And for me, for this story, I already knew my heroine cat because she was, um, from the, the last rom-com I did too good to be real. And she was kind of the, the one of the trio of besties who hasn't found her one. And Kat is a bit of uh, Taylor Swift's anti-hero song. She is a bit of the problem. She's very, she is kind of one of those people that she wants these things that she wants so much. Like she can kind of, you know, and to see her two best friends having it, it's a very hard thing for her. And so she's very happy for them. She's excited for them. Um, but, you know, it's this, it's this moment that all friendships face, you know, you know, they're out of five, six years out of college. Their, her two best friends are finding their SOs, their significant others, and and possibly moving in with them. In, and so that this, this sense that they're moving on without her is kind of a central theme of this story. Um, but she's always been attracted. She's very honest about this, that she is an asshole magnet. She's attracted to guys who are jerks. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's, she's an asshole just, magnet. <laughs> You know someone, you've got to know someone like that. You know, the story opens with her having um, a breakup with the latest asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so she's kind of stuck. Um, who ends up ditching her with his pet hedgehog? That's how the hedgehog comes into play with the story. Um, so she ends up having she's she ends up having to go do a do a, a last minute delivery to a funeral home. There's very explicit instructions about this boutonniere that needs to be on on the uh, the body, mm-hmm. and she is not really fond of funeral homes to begin with for personal reasons that the book gets into a little bit. Uh, but she's just like, and no one's around. She can't find anybody. And she just wants to get in and get out. She does not want to be in this place. So she just goes into the, to the, to the, the room where the service is going to be held. And she's like, she's like, I, I do weddings. I don't do funerals, but I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I'm going to stick this. I'm going to just pretend that he's a groom stiff with nerves and just, just get it done. And of course, that's when the hero walks in, wants to know what the F are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you pinning a flower <laughs> on this dead guy? Uh, and, and, and shenanigans ensue. Um, so, so that's how the two meet. Uh, the hero, Mick, his fam- family owns um, a funeral home in Chicago and uh, they're an Irish family. So they do a lot of wakes. <laughs> yeah. Many. And uh, it, he is very much my ode to Nick Miller from New Girl. Very tender hearted person who is in his own way also a hot mess. So these two hot messes get together and, you know, kind of he's he's a very, you know, kind of loving and understanding person in the set in a, in a way that Kat really needs. Yeah. I'm all about mortician heroes. I wrote one, too. So I, I uh, I'm, a, I'm a big I fan of the more about this a little bit. One of the things that set up the the novella that I wrote was that the hero, Jeremy, is a very goofy person. He's a big, giant, goofy, loud, silly person. But he's also part of a funeral home family. And I'm assuming that you learned this as well as I did, that in in the States, a lot of funeral homes are inherited and they stay in a family. And so yep. you have this weird ass problem of inheritance and a business, but also you have to go to school to be licensed in a lot of states. 
the idea that you're guiding people through, as you said, the worst parts of their life was something that really attracted to, attracted me. And also, I was writing what I wanted to read. And I was like, screw it, he's a mortician. And they're Jewish mm-hmm. and it's a camp. And I was writing all my own tropes anyway. That was, if you would like to read Sarah's self-service fanfic that was just for herself, that's what that is. It's all of my favorite things. Well, give us the title again. It's called Lighting the Flames, a Hanukkah Romance. Yeah. So let us, exactly. let us, let's talk about this. What were some of the things that you learned as you were researching this book? Cause you mentioned when we were emailing about mortuary makeup mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. services and alternative burials. There's so many burial oh. options now that I've never yeah. seen before. And it's things that you don't want to think about, but maybe you should think about. Like, how do you want, you know, when it's your time? Like, how do you, you know, you know, want to have, you know, if you don't answer these questions, someone's going to have to take care of it for you. Uh, but the tarot, like the the kinds where they have the the, the composting bins mm-hmm. that they basically put the body inside a composting bin and then family members will decorate the bins often with lots of pictures yeah. and things like that because it goes through a process of how yes. long it takes and then they get like these bags if they want them they get these bags and bags of, of compost material yeah. that you can then your garden or, or you know whatever yep. and then it's kind of like that that is that lives on you know and I, I wouldn't- again this makes me feel very morbid, but in some ways it could also be very comforting. Like oh, absolutely. I, find, I find the idea of that more comforting than embalming. But it's really interesting to me to, to think about how this technology has changed substantially in the last few years, that humans are very creative. What can we do to create a place for the living to remember a person, but also not make the negative impact of that person's burial so arduous for the environment? Yes. And negative in general is something. So I don't know if it's because it does seem to be kind of uh, moving faster and how things things seem to be more opportunities, more the ideas like have so long have kind of been like, this is what happens. This is what we do. This is the process. And all of these other options that are opening up and more states that are starting to allow these things, many states that, that don't allow them are starting to, mm-hmm. um, the rules are changing in, in some regards. And I think maybe it's like once the idea is out there, it sets off, you know, people begin to think and, you know, kind of it, it starts to grow as to what the possibilities could be because we are seeing more of that and seeing more companies that are providing it, um, so, you know, I think it just starts to take off faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And then also the idea of it being a negative experience, not just for the environment, but for, but for the family yeah. is something that we're seeing shift as well. Um, and that's another thing that's kind of tackled in the story is Mick, he, you know, kind of, how can I contribute to my family business? How can, cause he originally, like you said, when it's an inherited business and you're kind of like, okay, I'm doing this, you know, his sister, she knew she wanted to do it. She went to mortuary school. She got all that stuff, the licensing. She was 100% in Yeah. his brother knew as the oldest, he would be taking over, you know, kind of running the business, doing the books, all of that stuff. He was in Mick was kind of like, he went to school to be a psychologist. He wasn't planning to, you know, to do, to be part of the business. Mm-hmm. His sister and his brother had a cupboard. That was great. But then his parents who are kind of, again, are kind of, um, my Moira and Johnny Rose. <laughs> his parents decide that they're, they, you know, having worked in the industry and having kind of gone through so much death and, and everything. And, and, and what you hear often, you know, when you work with families is regret like what they didn't do, the things they didn't get to do. And so they're like, 
well, we're done. <laughs> we're gonna we're buying an RV and we are traveling the country. We are giving the business to you. And so they passed the business to their three children and split it equally among the three of them um, and said, you know, all right, it's yours. And so Mick is kind of like pulled into this, you know, as a partner in the business and being the kind of person he is, can't just walk away. It's like he's, mm-hmm. he, he will help. He will be there. He will, you know, he wasn't expecting his parents to retire for another 20 years. And here they are, you know, yep. like, see ya. <laughs> um so, so yeah, so he kind of, so for what he wants to do is he wants to um, build uh, a bar in oh. the funeral home, basically, uh, have a reception space. I mean, it and is a wake. Is <laughs> well, again, they already have wakes, but yeah. usually it's, it's that's more of a separate thing. Yeah. Um, so, but he's like, why, why not make it, you know, you know, like a celebration. And this is something that is happening more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago, there was a whole story. And it's like one of those kind of kismet moments where I was already working through this. And of course, you start Googling. And mm-hmm. sure enough, there is yep. a local Chicago funeral home who is open, you know, opening a bar and, and getting the licensing and doing the things required. So this is happening. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. You must have been like, I am predicting the future. Exactly. You, you do have that moment of, aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> but again, also, and again, because like, I know, like for me, like I want, like have a party, have fun, yeah. celebrate all of the good memories. Um, and I think that that we're starting to see, see more people that are like, yes, I want to treat this as a moment of celebration. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. If you're re- reframing what the funeral is doing and you're making it a celebration for people who have the option to add the bar, I mean, I'm sure it's not like required. You can just add it or not add it to, right, your, exactly. to, your, to what yes. you're doing. But like having yeah. the option, be like, it's, it's very much part of tradition to, to toast to people, to raise a glass to someone. That's a very common funeral element as well. You mentioned that you are writing all the things this year. What is going on with your publication schedule? What do you have in the pipeline? Um, so what I have in the pipeline, like as far as like what actually comes out, we'll see. So I kind of went through 
this weird um, moment of again, and and the the panini definitely played into this, this kind of like <laughs> the frustra- frustration of 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 you know there's all this um, like exhaustion and mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, not just for myself, but, you know, for my children who, you know, it's a, this is a really tough time if you had kids and in getting them through this, you have kids, you know, and I think oh, yeah. your children are not too off the ages of mine. Yeah. They're and, 15 you know, and 17 and they're still feeling yeah. the effects of having gone through oh, a yeah. pandemic. Oh yeah. So I have a four, 14 and 19. And so really in this kind of time of, where the social connections and that social interaction is so integral to, 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 to everything for them and had missing out on so much of that. And, uh, you know, so just a lot of working through stuff with them. And I just like, by the end of the day, I wasn't like, I just couldn't sit down and write, especially write funny. It was really hard. And so you had talked about how, you know, your novella was kind of like your, your id book or your like oh, the yeah. things that you wanted to yeah, just having fan service party of one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I just, you know, stepped away from the book that I had a deadline kind of like hovering over my head that I wasn't going anywhere with and just started just kind of drafting stuff for fun, things that made me happy that I enjoyed. And um, it it helped me kind of get back into the groove and get back to writing again. And so I... Um, have, it was it's it's paranormal. <laughs> it's like Celt, modern day Celtic fae, completely different from anything Ooh. that I that I write. But stuff that I loved reading. I loved reading the Karen Marie, Karen Marie Monning Highland books. Like I just those were such an escape for me. And so kind of like letting myself just play in this completely separate world. And so I just kind of like I'm going to invest in myself. I commissioned covers. And I'm, you know, they'll be under a pen name. So I feel like it's a safe place to play yeah. when it's not my own name. Oh, I completely understand. And, uh, and so, yeah, so hopefully if everything goes the way I'm hoping it will. And again, that's part of why I took that class I mentioned, the Sarah Cannon class, um, is, uh, yeah, that the first one should be out in August around the time of um, Lugnasad, I believe it's, it's one of the, like, they're all on like these Celtic, these, uh, uh, pagan uh, celebrations. So cool. we will see. And then I also, as a, um, I am someone who needs external motivation. Yes. To do things. Yes, I understand. So I, I signed up for some anthologies that helped me kind of again have have deadlines. Lots of people counting on you. So I wrote my very first um, seasoned romance, which Ooh. is characters in their 40s and up yes we are we are seasoned or what is the seasoning what is the is it old (laughs) is it old bay yeah i do not know but karen booth who writes some great she calls it later in life which i'm still like i mean 40s okay fine yes later in life whatever poultry Um, seasoning that's no (laughs) i don't know it's i think it's salt from all the margaritas (laughs) (laughs) or maybe some herbs de provence what seasoning is it (laughs) Now I'm just going to be in my, maybe it is Old Bay. I mean, I live in Maryland and there's Old Bay every, like you can get literally any solid piece of matter with a Maryland flag or the Old Bay logo on it. It's kind of incredible, but I think I'm going to say all seasoned romance is Old Bay as you were anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So later in life, what have you, but with characters in their, in their forties and and early fifties. And uh, I called the series, the MILFs just want to have fun series. Mm -hmm. And it was a group of teachers who met kind of um, 
like having, they all were stuck doing cafeteria duty, observation duty. I was a teacher, so I was really pulling on a lot of my experiences as a teacher. And yep. just, again, like to just write someone my own age. Was yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I could make references to certain songs and bands and whatever and not worry like, oh my God, how will this 30 year old or 20 something year old have any clue? Um, I mean, my, my 14 year old is listening to everything she listens to is stuff that was popular when we were teenagers. So, I mean, I, (laughs) but so that part I I think doesn't matter anymore. I don't get that either. My 17 year old has an entire playlist. He's like, mom, do you know this song? I'm like, that's in vogue. Of course I know that song. I know all of their songs. He's listening to en vogue. He has like a 90s R&B playlist. And he's like, have you heard this before? I'm like, like literally once a day when I was 17. Like, what is happening right now. It's fascinating to me because she, my 14-year-old, she she went through all, look, I kept everything. I'm such a pack rat. She went through all my old CDs and she likes to listen to them like actual, like you have everything you need at like the, we have a Spotify account, whatever you want, just click. And she's, but she knows she wants to put the CD in the CD player and yep. like, no, like, mom, this, this, is a, this is a no skips album. We're not skipping around. This is a no skip. We're going front to back. And so, yeah, writing these characters who were, you know, women in their 40s and 50s and the, obviously the heroes as well, um, that was just fun for me. And so yeah. I was, I've written three of them so far and I, I plan to do two more. And, you know, one of them's divorced. One of them has never been married. One of them wants to get married, but the guy is dragging his feet. So kind of all in different kind of situations. And, you know, the 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 ominous, ever-present, lure, looming eventuality of menopause. And all the little ways it starts to trickle into your life because you're not there yet, but somehow you're feeling some of it. It grows forward into your timeline and you don't know what it is, but maybe it's something about menopause. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The looming tentacles of menopause. (laughs) Yes. And that is that. Yeah. And talking about those experiences and the, yeah just having heroines who are like, my period might show up this month. It might not. I don't know. (laughs) I'm having all the normal symptoms, but maybe it'll visit. Maybe it won't. I don't know. It's up in the air. Makes life fun and exciting and annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And I know there is like an entire genre or subgenre that has popped up, the um, midlife magical kind of series. Like there's a lot of- Women coming into menopause and then magical powers. I am all- about that metaphor. I, because if you think about it in the portrayal of media, women who are in that age room, we're expected to just disappear. You know, our kids are graduating. They're now the main characters of their lives. The portrayal in media, we just disappear and recede into the background in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I mean, I think maybe having a very kind of like in the spotlight women who are now in their 50s. Yeah. Um, we can't all be Jennifer Lopez, but you know, like, <laughs> but we're redefining that, you know, like 50, 60, whatever doesn't mean like a specific thing anymore. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't. When we were emailing, you mentioned that your muse flew away and that you reconnected. And I know you said part of that was. I'm just going to write something under a completely different name in a completely different world and do whatever I want. But also, you know, mad, mad props for recognizing that you need an external motivator. That's a really important thing to know about yourself. What was the experience like of reconnecting with your desire to write and the the sense of fun of writing? 
I think that that's exactly it. The sense of fun. And yeah. it can be, and I mean, I don't want to be like, Oh, woe is me. You know, like being a traditional, being traditionally published, you know, it's a dream. It was a dream that I had and to, and to have that dream come true, everything has, you know, it's pros and cons and, and certain elements of traditional publishing can like, I'll just be very blunt, can feel like, can be like soul crushing oh, in very. terms of, <laughs> in ter- in term in terms of 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 a lot of things of you know you know because you give up so much control over certain elements and and in some ways it you know they know what they're doing and they're making good calls in other ways it's just incredibly frustrating to feel like you have to let go pieces of things that you you know were important to you so um so I felt like for me moving forward you know looking at and Becca Syme um who's another kind of like author coach she yeah. talks a lot about you know you you know you just kind of figuring out what you want what is your what, what do you want your career to look like what do you want your writing life to look like and so kind of taking that really hard look at what I wanted and you know I do enjoy certain aspects of traditional publishing I do really enjoy um you know the connections I've made with readers through it and I've been very blessed with um some great editors and that's part of the frustrating process as well and everyone in publishing is going through this um you know I losing people that work I worked with you know who just leave the industry and then it's just it's just heartbreaking over and over again um to lose you know I my the, my first copy editor who she was fantastic you know she left my first publicist she left um it's so disheartening right yeah and then my developmental editor who acquired me like she, I was one of her first acquisitions it was very exciting we really worked well together and then um in January of last year, you know, she just, she's, she announced that she was leaving, leaving publishing. And this was like right after one of my close friends who also is at a big house, um, had announced that her editor was leaving. And I was like, Oh my God, that's terrible. And I was like, thank God it's not me. And then like two weeks, two weeks later. later and you have to look <laughs> at an industry that is bleeding talent and go, what the hell? Why are you not? Yeah. What, yeah. what is happening and how do you make it stop? Because The people that I have worked with being edited by someone who can sort of see the big picture and like that's a real skill. And to watch talent like that leave is just so awful. Yeah. And I know the union, the HarperCollins union, they they just I think they just ratified the contract. But the fact that they had to go through that in the first place and the fact that it took so freaking long. Two months. It is an industry that I think expects a lot out of those who work in it because it, it like they're kind of playing off this fact that it's an art and that you you love what you do. And so that should somehow excuse all of the extra time and effort and whatnot that you put into it. And, and so, and so I think, I think burnout is incredibly high and, and it's, you know, it definitely, and it is a business, but I, I know for me, those relationships I form with the people within the business feel very personal. It can become very, it, can, it just can kind of like, you kind of go through a mourning process. I felt like I went through a mourning process when my editor left um, and my new one who was reassigned to the book that I was currently working on. And part of it too, there's an incredible amount of guilt for me because my book should have been done Mm -hmm. by the time that she left. Um, If I had been on schedule, uh, it would have been done. It would have been in post-production and I just couldn't get that book done. I couldn't do it. And so when she, when she's, you know, and it wasn't, I wasn't the reason, you know, (laughs) but but when she announced she was leaving, um, there was this incredible sense of guilt that we couldn't get this across the finish line together. And, and, 
And I think, but like for, there was so much guilt in not meeting my deadline, but the more authors I talk to, the more authors who I respect incredibly, um, I talk to that have also been missing deadlines right and left. I think we're just all, we're all tapped out and, and, and figuring out how to move forward and still produce quality work. Um, you know, it's, it's, it takes, it's right. So, so how you get to that, back to that place of joy, how you get back to that place of, of feeling like you can be productive. One, I was very lucky with the new editor that, that came on. She was, she's been fantastic. She like kind of, in a sense, breathed new life into the story. So I was able, you know, getting back to it that way helped me a lot. But then also it was this, this having to step away and work on something else. And I know for some people, um, it is refilling the well, like just, and I'm trying to think of the book is something about like laziness or anti-lazy or something about like, like you know, like the, it's not about being lazy. Laziness um, does that, not exist. Thank you. Laziness yes. does not exist by Dr. Devin Price. Thank I you. love that book. I did an interview with Dr. Price because I love that book so much. It's yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, that you need to step is away. Is that anywhere that I can, can hear that? Of course, I'll send you a link. Part of it is probably this American productivity, you know, I don't know. The um, productivity certain, narrative. Like, yeah, the product, productivity yeah. gospel, which is such terrible. But the sense that, you know, to take a step back and to read for pleasure, to watch something for pleasure, to let, you know, do like that's refill your well. And yeah. um, and I think when you're on, on that kind of like, and it could be traditional or indie publishing that you feel like you're on that treadmill. I don't think, I think, especially when you're on boss and, and all that, it can be sometimes even more difficult, but at least the person you have to answer to is yourself. When you make your job out of something that you love doing, that wasn't paying you, that now is paying you, that has a financial compensation to to attach, it, it becomes a different thing. It feels different. It does feel different. And also like your sense of worth, like it really, it can all mess with your head, like how much your book sells or how much your next, you know, advance it, like all of those different pieces really start to mess with your sense of worth. Mm-hmm. And again, Becca Syme has some great um, YouTube videos about like that, you know, your, your productivity is not your worth, your you know, so all so just kind of refiguring all that stuff out too. Yeah, allowing myself to, to, to write for fun. It's like giving myself permission. Yeah. <laughs> write whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You don't have to listen. And I think that's true for a lot of writers that the first book is a lot easier than the second one because the second one you know who's reading. You know there are people who've looked at it and responded to it. It wasn't just in your head. So I got to you you were wonderful and inviting me, me onto the podcast back when I first debuted in 2019. Yeah. And I had that really weird experience of being um, a triple release. So they put three books out in the space of three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went from a debut author with nothing out there to an author with three books out. So all three of those books were done, finished yeah. before they hit the market. So I had, and I didn't know it was a luxury at the time because I felt like I was just you know, spinning plates and, and going bananas, but having written all those in the safe bubble of my own world without yeah. like anything outside coming yep. into it, yep. that you never get that back again. Because yes, even when you don't want it, every voice outside of your is, is, can be in your head. And, Absolutely and true. That stuff out is, is a skill. <laughs> so I always ask this question, what books are you reading right now that you might want to tell people about? 
Oh, goodness. Okay. So let's see here. Um, so I just got uh, Take the Lead by Alexis Daria, which is a re-release. Yes. Um, I remember the original cover and I like this one very much. This is gorgeous. Well, I still have the original cover, and um, my my when my daughter when that came out, my oldest was youngest. I think was maybe eight at the time, um, and she like drew a shirt on him because <laughs> he didn't have a shirt. <laughs> she gave him a shirt. Um, but Alexis and I were uh, back when Golden Heart existed. We were Golden Heart sisters together. Um, her would take oh. the lead, and me with getting hot with the Scott. And so it was so you know because I saw so it was kind of part of her journey when it was first published as um, digital first back when that was traditional publishing was pushing that as a thing and to see this get a second chance to see it come back and get kind of like the spotlight it deserves it's been so thrilling and exciting um so I'm having fun with that having fun with kind of like seeing the little changes and the things she added um that's really fun and then I'm also reading the vibrant years by Sally Dev yep and that one um again because I'm having fun with how she's playing with the three-person narrative and having it kind of be this I love stories of sisterhood and friendship, like strong, strong ties like that. Yeah. And um, which is very well. And that, that book is a lot of fun. And then as far as um, serious stuff, uh, I've been reading all the living and the dead, which um, I think you've been reading too. And yes. More later. I've been reading that at night and I know I feel like I said, I feel like Wednesday Adams, like this is my nighttime reading. <laughs> yeah. And we are going to record an episode just about that book because it was completely serendipitous that we were both reading it at the same time. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I ask her about it, this episode is going to be like two hours long because we're going to spend so much time on this book. So we're going to do another episode about All the Living and the Dead as a nonfiction book. It is so good. It is, I, I have to like warn people about some of the things that are in the book, but it is so good. So good. And it is very Wednesday, Adam, bedtime reading. <laughs> it is. But and I, I think part of it, too, like nonfiction, sometimes you don't think about you don't think narrative voice in nonfiction, but there is. And she um, I don't remember her name right off the top of my head, but because we'll, we'll, we'll get into this when we talk about the book later. Yeah, but I think that that definitely plays into into how how you can go about enjoying this book that touches on some very dark topics. Yeah. Yeah. Very dark. Where can people find you on the internet if you wish to be found? I'm pretty easy to find because my mom spelled my name the way she did. So Melanie, M-E-L-O with an O, uh, N-I-E Johnson. Um, if you're either going to come across me or a woman who runs casinos. I am not the <laughs> casino person. She is lovely, but that's not me. Uh, that seems to be like the top two Google, Google searches are me or... Melanie Johnson, the runs casinos. So Melanie Johnson, the redhead, that's me. Um, you'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on, uh, oh God, TikTok. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have moved over there, uh, very like tiptoed over there, I should say. Um, and, and the writing lush, hashtag the writing lush. That will be me pretty much on all the socials as well. Fabulous. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you. It's always fun to talk to you. All right. We will connect again in a couple of weeks and talk about that book. But until then, thank you. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Melanie for hanging out with me to talk about all of the things. And thank you to Melanie for scheduling another interview so we can take a deep dive into a book that we happen to both be reading. This book is so cool. And I want to recommend it. But I also want to be very clear that it is about death and grieving and dying 
And there are a lot of really painful things inside the book. So if that's not something that you want to put into your brain, I completely understand. But if you would like to read the book in anticipation of our discussion of it, it is called All the Living and the Dead by Haley Campbell. I end each episode with a bad joke, and this week is no exception. This joke comes from Clay, who is a member of the podcast Patreon, and Clay's nine-year-old. Hello, Clay, and hello to the nine-year-old. Are you ready for this wonderful joke? Okay. Why do bees have such sticky hair? Give up. Why do bees have such sticky hair? They use honeycombs. <laughs> Given that spring is showing up way, way early, like it's the end of February and my neighbor's daffodils are blooming, which is very weird for this time of year. I was very excited to have a bee joke. Bee jokes! On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. We hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding shows to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcast honeycombs that's a really good cereal now i want a bowl of honeycombs want to get a chiseled look in the jawline sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from juvederm volux xc Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.